But that's why did I interrupt you then? Or you? No, no, no. I'll just join in in the fans. Swindon, and we love you. We <laughs> do. Rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play. That is that. What a good shot. feeling Dan dehydrated but cheery good good you were on it yesterday sir on it <laughs> yes it was a very very enjoyable day on the uh, on the Guinness which um you know not my phraseology I think some of the other guys on the pod christened it uh, Swinis last year so uh, I ran with that mm. but yeah I think I think we um we had a hearty dozen of Guinnesses and um yeah, some lovely food along the way as well. A very enjoyable day out in East London with plenty of the chaps, which, yeah, life-affirming stuff. That's why we do the football, right? Well, also the cricket, because this is the transition time for you, isn't it? Like the last <laughs> couple of weeks and months before you have to uh, take your Swindon-centric cap off and uh, get your batting up to scratch. Boy, yeah, uh, I haven't got enough years to work on the uh, on the batting, unfortunately. But uh, no, you're right, um yeah, I'm always pestering the cricket club chaps to uh, come and watch the town. And um, yeah, I, I think a lot of them are expecting us to take a paste in. So the uh, the hearty 1-1, full away end, biggish crowd. Yeah, it was, it was decent fair. Yes, not the greatest game, but in terms of away end atmosphere, it is the one that you want to take your pals who don't really care about Swindon Town <laughs> to, because there's nothing worse than taking them to say like Newport away atmosphere. Um, no, it was, it was, it was wonderful. A really good day out. That's my first Orient away. Really? Uh, it's, oh. it's, yeah. I don't really get out of the house much. I'm just happy I'm going to Swindon these days. <laughs> They're known further afield. And, oh, just a breeze. That Elizabeth line. Oh, I, yes. It, it's really stereotypical, isn't it? Because I was I was oh. on the on the train and all I could hear was Swindon fans going, it's all right, isn't it? Oh, what a piece of infrastructure that is, by the way. <laughs> oh, I had my legs stretched out, uh, almost tripped someone up, forgot I was on the underground, <laughs> you know, and uh, and and went from there. Yes, a superb day. Saw yourself, if yes. you remember. Yeah, I remember. You were in the corner of the pub. Don't worry, I, I remember. Was in the corner of the pub. Talking to Bob's Orange from the Town End Forum. Oh, fantastic. Absolute pleasure it was. Terry, of course, and, yes. and Terry's entourage. And then it was on to uh, Brisbane Road with Banyard and Co. So, oh, a lovely, lovely day. Almost perfect. Uh, even got home quicker than I thought. Wonderful. 
Thank you, Elizabeth Lyon. There it is once again. Let's start with Swindon Town away at Leighton Orient. 1-1 draw. We'll take that all day long. I was really, really confident going into this game. And I think it was justified why I was confident. But it didn't go the way I sort of expected it to or why I was so confident. But Orient's performance was, was how I expected it. But Swindon didn't quite reach the levels I, I wanted them to. But... The big talking point before the game was what was the starting lineup going to be? And it started with Bryn in goal, then call it back five, back three, whatever. It was Minturn coming in for his first Yay. EFL start of his career with Tom Clayton and Joe Tomlinson in an unfamiliar position. Then you had Reese Devine making a league debut and Hutton on the other side, Kaji and McEachran in the middle. Just ahead of them was Johnny Williams and Rashan Hepburn Murphy and Charlie Austin up front on his own. I've seen a few fans' comments uh, from the start, uh, well, before kickoff, I should say, and I think there was a lot less pessimism once the announcement was made, but still, like, ooh, that defense looks, it could go, like, it looks like it could go either way. And in the end, we just about held on. Yeah, it was. You know, like you, I, I was confident before the game, and I can't really tell you as to why. Um, but yeah, the game was always going to be, could Swindon's patched up back line give us enough ballast to allow our talented front end of the pitch to um, to do a bit of damage and get us a point or, or three points? And, you know, the answer in the end was absolutely yes. The, uh, the cobbled together back five, um, you know, Aside from one very slack piece of marketing, and that was kind of on Dylan Kaji, really. Um, you know, they acquitted themselves really well, really committed. Um, you know, whilst Orient weren't super duper, you know, they are top of the league, and you know, especially going one 0 up at home, that would be a time where, you know, a side with a bit less about it might crumble. So, yeah, the back line did their job. I think. Our talented front end of the pitch. I'd still would have liked to have seen a bit more quality service to Austin. He did have a a quiet afternoon, but you know, in Hepburn Murphy, Williams, McEachran, you've got you know you had enough on the day for us to uh, to get our goal. And whilst we had no defenders on the bench, we did have some good forward attacking options. So um, you know, Jakey Wakey coming on, getting his goal. It's yeah, all, all in all. From where we were on Thursday and Friday, you know, pressers, injuries, you know, sounds like we cocked up a, a free agent sign in. Yeah, all the, all that kind of gloom and, uh, you, know, you know, we we didn't quite need to be so so dreary because um, Minton and Tomlinson slotted in like season pros. The Swindon boys. The Swindon boys, indeed. But before we talk about the game in a bit more detail, let's talk about the atmosphere. Because for all of the little knocks that we get as a fan base when we're listening to Jody Morris update us on, on the squad and so forth, the Swindon Town fans were magnificent for large parts of that game. We couldn't have given much more. That We did our bit, didn't we? Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean... My worry, when I was at Swindon Station at half eight in the morning and you see the Swindon Town, Burberry, Stone Island boys pouring into the station, 
bottles of vodka in hand, cheap energy drink in the other hand. Um, it looked like it had potential to be another lively away day in the sort of Newport bracket, if I'm not being too unkind. Uh, but happy to report the the atmosphere that the 1250 that were there. It was much more Port Vale away in the playoffs. It's just you know total support for the team, lots of noise, big game atmosphere. So yeah, yesterday the fans were an absolute credit to the club. Lots of pubs we were mixing in before the game. You know, again, happy, happy, no dramas that I saw. So yeah, I mean, the, the actually the only smattering of discontent I saw was in the the very very long queue to get into the away end at quarter to three. It was looking a bit like you remember back in the day, like people queuing up to try and get into Wimbledon, and they'd have to like get there for six a.m. and camp. <laughs> it's kind of like that kind of queue. It was looking a bit ominous to get in for kickoff. Um, I saw Rob Angus a yeah. couple of couple of places ahead of me in the queue. Said hello to Rob. Um, you know, he's probably had a jolly old, good old away day there as well. So good to uh, get in amongst the fans. But yeah, a few people trying to cut in and getting a bit argy bargy. But you know, I think that was much more individual idiots than um, you know, an <laughs> epidemic of idiots. Well. Well, I mean, just talking about getting into the ground. Well, I abandoned Terry and his pals. Uh, I was saying goodbye to Terry because I couldn't find him, just so I could go and get my ticket and and beat that quarter to uh, three crowd. But <laughs> whether I should be telling you this or not, go on. I could stand to lose a little bit of weight, but I got my angles all wrong when going through the turnstiles and got stuck. <laughs> Oh, Rich, you lovely man. Oh, oh sorry you dear. got stuck in the turnstiles. A mild panic for about a split second aside, I saw the funny side of it, even when like the young turnstile operator was laughing and the, the old boy steward was looking at me going, what's wrong with you? I didn't know what was wrong with me. I only had one drink and that was about an hour and a half before. <laughs> um, I just got my angles all wrong, Dan. What can I say? Well, sport is about angles. It's about um, small differences, small margins. Um, but no, it's good. I'm glad to know there was a reason for the queue to be so long and take quite so long. It's a Swindon Town podcast originator <laughs> stuck in the turnstiles. Bless you, Rich. And as a fellow gentleman who'd like to be a bit smaller than he is, I really do. I sympathise with you. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm I'm oversharing here, but if that wasn't motivation to have a good summer, I don't know what <laughs> was because oh, it was it was quite the moment, right? Let, let's talk about the first half because I think on the basis of the first half performance, there were some genuine moments of positivity and and hope and improvement, but. Orient just looked stronger. They looked like they had a better team and it felt like this game was going to be just a low scoring loss, a 1-0 or a 2-0. Um, but there, there were moments, um, a few comments from fans here. Rich A says, Orient looked good first half, but redu- but reduced to trying to win it by long throws at the end. Would have been easy to fold after the early 1-0. Uh, whereas Shaw of Kent said, I thought we made them look very ordinary, limited them to a few chances if our decision-making would have been better. We could have got a lot more out of the game. Some really sloppy passes giving the way 
susceptible to much. Rob Dinsey says Orient put the handbrake on a bit and probably the better side, but not a robbery by any means. And Dave Phillips finally says a super performance by a supposedly weakened team who plays well enough to then deserve the point through stout defending and looking dangerous on the counter-attack. So let's talk about this first half, this game, because it was just quintessential Wellens stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, um, so just a bit of a comment on, on Orient there. So you say it looks like a Wellens side, because the last successful Wellens side I saw at Swindon were perhaps lucky enough to have Owen Doyle yes. centre-forward, which made it a much more goalsy Wellens side. This looked like a Wellens side without the goals. Um, their strengths were uh, out wide. Archibald and James at right wing and right back worked really well together. Um, but yeah, like I say, generally tried to play football, which was nice. I think second half they did rather get sucked into long throws uh, kind of game, which probably detracted from some of their, their second half play. But yeah, I was very pleased to see Monker and Paul Smith um, on the bench from the start. Those two players who you'd normally look for, uh, two of the better players in in the whole of League Two. Uh, but yeah, they they look a bit goal shy, if that's possible for a team on seventy two points at the top of the league. Their strength is uh, in their defence, led by Omar Beckles at centre half. Um, They've only conceded five home league goals before Jacob Wakelin scored yesterday. Um, and their home record is, is you know, fairly magnificent, as um, as Wellens was when we when we won League Two on points per game. So, yeah, I think they just looked well-versed. You know, they played together a lot. They're used to winning, um, but just kind of efficient and... They're just trying to get through the next couple of months and they'll be up. There's no way they're not going up. No, no, and and good luck to them. I thought it was going to be a really, really, not red hot in sort of like in, in a hostile way atmosphere, but I thought it was going to be like a, a battle of two audible teams and the team at home that are running away with the league almost could have been in fine voice and and done their bit to cheer them on but they're very quiet I, I was trying to figure out why is it just because they've been so decent at home it's kind of they're just used to it is it because they're not used to being top of the league and they just don't know what to do um it, it was it was a weird one in terms of atmosphere I'm sure it was much louder outside of the away end because we've got the low roof and making a lot of noise but it did seem just reduced to that corner of people that spend 80 minutes not watching the game, but instead of trying to pick on the person that looks like Phil Mitchell, uh, which <laughs> is the stereotype of all football fans, isn't it? <laughs> These moments. But yeah, given what they've been treated to this year, I was expecting maybe a little bit more from them, but it doesn't matter. They're going to League One. They won't give a damn. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard. I'm not a sort of Leighton Orient expert. When I've been to Brisbane Road in the past, it's generally, like you say, that sort of corner of the home end, which um, is where their, their little bit of noise comes from. I suppose, you know, what what's the sell out there? Nine and a half? Well, I know the crowd was eight, six, but I think that acknowledged the, the empty seats that weren't used. But yeah, I think, 
I think somewhere in the 9,000. So a bit disappointing to see quite so many Orient fans with tickets not not show up. Um, like I say, it wasn't raucous. It didn't feel like a, a cauldron. Um, nothing like that. So, yeah, I mean, I, feel, I was thinking about this the other day for some reason. But, yeah, probably the most hostile League 2 atmosphere I can remember. And they had a very good side to go with it. With Lincoln City, uh, Flickcroft year, you know, that was a real, you know, given they only had sort of eight, 9,000 on the gate, like the noise that day, you know, really, really raucous. But, you know, that's that's kind of the exception, really, in, in League Two, isn't it? Um, but no, I mean, I'd, I'd rather focus focus on us, you know. Well, we can't because we need to, <laughs> because we were, we were in fine voice. Nothing was really happening. And then with their first, I don't know if it was their first corner, but from their first real chance, Omar Beckles is unmarked, heads it home, and the the previously quiet <laughs> home end now reminding <laughs> us who <laughs> that they were there. Omar Beckles, I'm a fan of in a lower league way. You know, he is exactly the sort of player Swindon have been without this year. Some people might not agree with that, but he he put in one of those performances and he he scored his goal. But Beckles is is a player that that we could have done with this season. That type of player, do you not agree? Absolutely, just perfect League Two centre half. Really, you know, I'm not saying he's Maldini because he's in League Two, but you know, for what you're looking for, height, build, pace, um, you know, what's he? mid to late 20s but he's played plenty of football you know at Grimsby and other places so yeah I, I dare say if we had Omar Beckles at the back for the last 35 games we'd um we'd probably be another eight or ten points on and that's before you get on to uh the sort of goal threat he, he contains um at the top end of the pitch for him but yeah you're, you're right to sum up the sort of early salvos you know you mentioned the very good um uh, Reese Devine sort of charging run inside and shot at Figaro. That was um, a really encouraging sign for the half that Devine went on to have, which was, you know, in a going forward sense, really encouraging. Finally seeing the player that we signed and what he could bring. So, yeah, just very direct, sort of head down, charge inside. Later on in the half, he was obviously fouled right, right on the edge of the box. By Beckles. It was outside the box. It was outside the box. But um, yeah, a really encouraging full debut for Devine in the league. Um, And heartbreaking for him that it should end in the second half with with another injury. But yeah, in terms of other Swindon bits, early doors, a couple of Johnny Williams nice bits in in splashes, a sort of dart inside and a a weak curling shot straight at Bigaroo. I found Williams' performance quite frustrating otherwise. Lots of falling about, lots of moaning at the ref. And then summed up by that ruddy free kick, about 15 (laughs) yards over the bar from from that Uh, Reese Devine (laughs) free kick. Um, But yeah, just so frustrating. Because the the first thing we said in the way end was, how simple was that? You know, drilled cross. Biggest player in the Leighton Orient team, free header from six yards. 
of all the things to undo you on a really difficult away day with a patched up back five, it's like, don't get done with something avoidable, guys. And and what's frustrating is the rest of the game, particularly against the, the long throw barrage in the second half, Swindon competed physically admirably. Yeah, you know, I can think of a, a few flick-ons and a failed overhead kick in the second half. And, yeah, a few balls that Brinny had to come and get. One Archibald cross in the first half, which you know, had Brinny have not been so sharp in mind, might, might have just curled in and caught him out. But yeah, God. I, I think having watched it again, is it is it Kaji's man? It looked like Kaji's man. We are so static, it's hard to blame one person. I would say it's just... Nobody moves. Uh, if it's Kaji's, if it's Kaji's man, then then it's a Kaji. Well, it makes sense that our biggest player would be on their biggest player, I guess. Um, but yeah, probably. You know, this is where you miss Grizzly centre halves. This is where you miss captains. Um, you know, Charlie Austin can't head head everything in his own box. But yeah, I mean, credit to Town because after that, they defended very stoutly against set pieces. But you know, it only takes one. One bit of slack defending and Orient got their got their goal. They certainly did. You mentioned Reese Devine. Let's talk about him a little bit more because all season long, whether it's Scott Lindsay, Jody Morris, or uh, teammates, they've been saying, "Man, Devine, he's good." And we're like, "Well, you know, we'll see it. We'll believe it when we see it." Lee Strachan said, "I saw Devine pre-season at Eastleigh and didn't think much, but he looked classy on his debut. Hope he's okay." Unfortunately, Jody Morris didn't sound too confident post-match. He was possibly a little shaky defensively, but going forward, he was great fun. Um, I loved how he was taking on multiple players whenever yeah. he could to get into the box. And he drives into the box in the way that Ellis Iandolo doesn't, because Ellis Iandolo likes to go towards the byline and then sort of cut it in, doesn't he? But <laughs> Devine was looking to get in there, which which was really good to see. Yeah, I've already said it, you know, just very direct. Not necessarily having to rely on skill, just willingness to knock it past a man and go. Yeah, I mean, if this is, if that first half is Reese Devine not match fit, then, you know, there is definitely a fair bit of hope for him if he can ever get fully fit. Um, he certainly gave their right back a hard time. And in terms of defensively, I think I'm going to give him a couple of mitigants. You know, he was on the most difficult side against Archibald, who cuts in every time. And then the overlapping James, who then sort of takes that outside channel every time. You know, Good chemistry between those two. And also Joe Tomlinson being the left centre half, not a natural centre half, you know, that that's who Divine had to be closest to, you know, if you think about your your back line being tied together by strings. So now I think just absolutely gut in on a, a human level for Divine, someone who's had a really difficult year of injuries. He has a really encouraging fifty minutes and then I I, I rewatched the sort of build up to his injury and you see he's go sprinting after a ball and something just goes ping. So I suspect that's kind of hamstring or quad and oh for his sake let's hope let's hope it's not a season ender because of course you know this podcast can be dedicated to injured left backs you know we've had Tomlinson recently we've had Iandolo posting on Instagram yesterday I saw his foot's in a, a big old boot 
he's talking about that being the end of his season as well. Oh. Um, Divine finally back and goes again. You've got Lavinia out injured, who's played at left back. It's um, it's you'd, it's such a curse. You'd almost think we'd sponsored their kit, Rich. Almost, but not our fault this year. No, thankfully. Let's stay with with the defenders because, as you as you mentioned, Joe Tomlinson was in a unfamiliar position to him. He was he was brilliant. Harrison Minter debut. Uh, Mister Good says he didn't look out of his depth. I think we've got a real gem on our hands. And Jody Morris post match said. I didn't know anything about him until he plucked the ball out of the air against Ginningham. I hadn't seen that since. Uh, he needs to embrace the opportunity. I was a bit disappointed with how some of them started the game, but he wasn't one of them. He stuck his chest out, showed guts and personality. Yes, is he going to make mistakes? Was there things he needs to, to do better? Of course. But as far as that showing what you've got and sticking your chest out, and showing a bit of mentality, I was delighted for him. Yeah, he did make a couple of errors, but nothing that that put us in any peril beyond giving away a corner. It was a really, really positive first league start for him, wasn't it? And and I couldn't be happier because, you know, you keep an eye on the lone players on a regular basis. Harrison Minter has been one of those players for a couple of seasons now. And it's always nice when they get an opportunity and take it. Yes. We're not going over the top. You don't have to dress it up, you know, with a nice bit of dressing. Like, this is an academy success. You know, you've got a first-year professional here. Centre-half is a notoriously difficult position to bring academy players straight through because there is such a, a physical element to their job, generally, in League 2 uh, at centre-half. And it's another position where experience does count for a lot. So, you know, for Minton to come in in a week where all the talk was about, you know, oh, God, more injuries at centre-half. How unlucky are we? We're trying to get this guy in. We're trying to get that guy in. You know, I'm not sure Minton got a mention in the presser, um, unless, you, unless you're about to correct me there. It's, so we didn't. No, I'm not um, correct you. They did keep it quiet. I messaged you guys, didn't I, and said, oh, that, that's a bad presser for... Harrison Minton. Like, if you're not going to play him now with only Tom Clayton as a fit centre-half, then you might as well send him out on loan and let him play. But so, no, A, really, really pleased that Morris picked him, backed him. Um, absolutely chuffed for Minton, who is a, a proper Swindon boy. I've heard his, his dad speak on BBC Radio uh, Wiltshire before. He seemed like a proper Swindon family. Um... And yeah, like I say, to what Morris said, puffed his chest out, didn't wilt, didn't hide, and and more than played his part with some meaty tackles, some big headers. So confident on the ball, like he's got a lot of faith in his teammates. Yes, he because, does. Yeah, you know, I think Jody Morris was right to point out that there were errors and there were, but this is League Two. There are errors everywhere. Senior players make make errors, right? Charlie Austin misses every now and again. Johnny Williams free kick. Johnny Williams converted <laughs> like his Welsh rugby heritage suggests he will. There it is. Um, but no, <laughs> fantastic for Minton. And what I want to see now, so we've seen many promising young players make a mark, go all the way back to people like David Stroud, right? I remember he came in for a game at Ch- uh, Huddersfield away, had a stormer, got an assist. And you think, right, we found one here. And they fade away. Sol Price, another one. 
came in. Carl Lapham. Yeah, Carl Lapham, good fullback. Sole prize, two goals against Stevenage. Yeah, so the next bit is probably the most difficult bit. You know, he's got the shirt now. There's talk about Tom Brewitt, the ex um Liverpool Morecambe AFC filed defender coming in on free. But what I really want to see now is let's continue back in Minton. Let's actually in the next 10 or 12 games, let's find out if we've got ourselves a gem. I'm not sure I would go wholeheartedly gem yet. Um, but what I think you might have here is a good football league centre-half. And in a way, for a fan like that, you might actually get someone who plays two, two or three hundred games here. Because anyone who is in Starlet or gem territory has probably already left Swindon. Or we're putting them in the squad to try and jack their price up. But no, in Minton, I really hope we have some some permanence here because you know having that connection to the town, having been at the club probably since he's eight or nine, yeah, that's just that's just going to connect team and fans. Is is what you want to see. I love it. Absolutely. More player appreciation from listeners. George McEachran uh, getting plenty again. A couple uh, here. Paul Temple saying George McEachran bossed central midfield with energy and physicality which is something you don't normally see from a Swindon player and Jamie Goodwin says he was great on the ball niggly without lovely stuff I really really am pleased with how much of a difference he's making and given and I know I've said it a few times given how long he was out for I still fully expect him to have to have a break at some point but there's only what 12 13 games left if he can keep this up uh, oh, please, please sign him on for longer. At the minute, the, the agreement is working for all parties, right? We've somehow, despite the length of time that McEachran was out of professional football, um, have unearthed, you know, what looks like it's going to be a kind of Louis Reed standard quality ball player midfielder. Uh, um, you know, we don't know how high his, his ceiling is. We can't really judge that off of four games but and, and for McEachram it's giving him that step back into to proper football playing games he's working with someone he's worked with before so I think I think if Jody Morris is at Swindon Town next year then oh, God. <laughs> no that, that's not me trying to set off alarm bells um, but if Morris is here next year then why wouldn't McEachram be here frankly like Johnny Williams you know nomadic injury hit career come to a place where you finally play a lot and they keep you fit why wouldn't you carry on so no really promising signs on McEachern he's got a lovely lovely way about him and whilst he is diminutive he has a physical impact on the game by you know just that speed he has over the first five yards which allows him to close down there's one lovely bit of pressing and closing down in the second half which then set Hutton free uh, the Hutton cross uh, was met by Hepburn Murphy. Bit tame, easy save for Vigory, but that was one of our better chances as the, the second half. Did well, to get on. to it though, didn't he, Hepburn Murphy? Yeah, yeah but no, McEachern, it just gives you so much energy, legs, but also once he does get the ball, quality. And I'm sure between now and the end of the season, there will be a very sexy goal from the left foot of George McEachern. Ooh, here is hope in second half. Before Swindon equalise, 
I think we all thought it was coming and there, there's a few reasons why it was kind of obvious with, from the away end where everyone's head was at, which we'll talk to talk mm. about once we finish talking about the performance. But it felt like just exactly what you said, you know, we were playing well, they were playing Wellingsball without the goal scorer because they were dinking it about, they were getting close. And then there's two moments that, that changed the game. The first one is Theo Archibald, who'd been a, nuisance and you know he's, he's quite a elbowy sort of player he, there was one one push in the first half where he made no effort to get the ball I couldn't believe the official didn't notice that but again the sort of player you want in your 11 he's, he's a player that I know the podcasts admire from the last game and he was no different this game he, he was probably their best player in many ways but then he gets injured and that is when Orient start set pieces, throw-ins, and they just lose it a little bit. And minutes later, Jake Wakelin scores to make it 1-1. Yes, beautifully done. But yeah, on Archibald off, Smith on. Um, yeah, it kind of brought a different kind of threat. So they're both, they're both very good players. But I think Archibald had a bigger impact on the game whilst he was on the pitch than, than Smith did. Smith initially had a couple of decent runs at Tomlinson. Uh, beat him a couple of times, but yeah, it's sort of, yeah. And then with, well, like you say, the long throw barrage, I think that kind of distracted, distracted Orient away from doing some of the good things they're good at. And there, there's definitely shades of Bradford away, where I think for about 60 minutes, Bradford mostly played football and were, were very good side. You know, the league table was showing that they are. Um, and then they sort of brought on a, a couple of big lads, um, went long and just kind of forgot, about, you know, what they're about, and that that helped Swindon get back in the game up at Bradford. Um, here, I, I'm not necessarily sure, you know, Swindon weren't banging down the door or anything like that. But the the enforced sub of Wakelin for Divine, as sad as it was for Divine, did give us um, a bit more of a goal threat, anyway, from the sort of. Well, still from left wing back, but with a bit more of a sort of forward emphasis, which um, which Wakelin brings, obviously being a natural natural forward. And yeah, I mean, if we if we're talking about the goal, it was pretty nondescript build up, uh, sort of long ball forward by Clayton Austin and Hepburn Murphy going up for the you know, for the ball within three or four yards of each other, broke to Wakelin. Um, and, you know, this was the key. Like, we had won the ball high up the pitch. Orient were really high. Um, loads of space in behind their back four, which, you know, didn't necessarily happen a lot uh, during the game yesterday. And, yeah, lo- lovely little uh, poked pass by Hepburn Murphy and Wakelin, you know, going up against one of the best goalkeepers in the league. Um, nice finish. Vigaroo had sort of... He'd gambled. He decided he was going to dive to his right, which helped when uh, the ball took a slight nick off Figaro and into the back of the net. Yeah, but nice finish. It's nice to see Wakelin's got two and three now. Um, his season back up and running, as we as we spoke about after he, after we got the last one. So, yeah, I mean, his being on the bench is probably a little bit of a surprise. But Morris said post match, you know, he's been dealing with a bit of fatigue in his hamstring. Bringing him on in the 54th minute was actually a bit earlier than they'd have liked to have bring him on. So, yeah, I mean, 
bit of a relief that Wakelin hasn't aggravated that injury from what we what we know. Uh, but yeah, it, it sort of, as as the game went on, and it did become a little bit more stretched in the last fifteen or twenty minutes, having Wakelin and Hepburn Murphy on, it does give Swindon much more of a counter-attacking threat with both of them on the pitch. Um, which, um, yeah, I think as the season goes on, those couple of pace men, you know, it's a very different front line from when it's Austin Jeffcott-Williams, for example, where um, you don't you don't have the pace to threaten. If it's Wakelin, Hepburn, Murphy plus one, then, yeah, you do have that option to, you know, try and scare teams with pace and, Maybe try the up ball over the over the top. And and it wasn't too stressful for Swindon after. There was one chance Orient had that they, they should have scored and, and Solbrin was done if it was on target. That was very late on. Oh, you're talking the Monker left foot curler. Yeah. And and then there was the two penalty shouts. I gotta say that the second one I was worried at the time. I haven't looked at it back, but Oh, yes, I'm a hundred percent with you watching it live. Hutton was caught with his pants down. He, he just switched off wrong side and then lent on him. The referee's reaction immediately is why I wasn't sort of like <laughs> falling to the floor. You yeah, know? I think was... so there was an earlier. So it was, was it Paul Smith both times? I think it was, wasn't it? And I think there had been an earlier Paul Smith one where just that like, Swindon player had been running side by side with him. He went down very tamely and the referee sort of gave him their like, come on, get up gesture. So perhaps is there an element of Paul Smith's reputation preceding him a little bit? I don't know if he's much of a diver, but I know he's a very tricky, tricky player. So no, I think what I, what I saw live with my own eyes, I was very concerned when yep. he went down and that would have been the last minute of stoppage time too. It would have been an absolute galling way to... <sighs> To lose. Gross. Or a fantastic way to cling on for 1 1. <laughs> exactly. When Bryn saved it. In, in Bryn, we trust. Finish 1 1. Happy days. Good reception from the fans, Orient fans, taken to social media saying that we were celebrating uh, a draw and that was embarrassing. It's kind of what we do every game uh, away. We tend to clap our players off the pitch. We gave their manager uh, a better reception than, than they gave their manager. Um, which yeah. was just nice to see, um, considering his exit. I think most people have moved on and recognise uh, what a great season he gave us. And it was it was all very nice. Uh, one last thing, really, on the performance. Rich Hayes is big picture, though. We're still mid-table with a lot to do to make the playoffs. Calling your teacher mum says, still don't think we're good enough to make the playoffs, uh, but it won't be for the lack of Effort. Andy R says we're starting to look a lot more savvy under Jody Morris. We're compact, organised, and able to mix the way we play. Morris obviously knows how to get results and is getting the message over. Craig says brilliant point. Didn't expect that considering the circumstances, but we're 11th in a mediocre league too, and that's a long way from good enough. Paul Merriman says I hope the belief is now there to push on. And finally, Alex Smith saying boring game, scrappy but we didn't give many chances away. Undeserved points on the balance of play, but we weren't backs against the wall. Too late to mount a playoff charge, maybe, because he's question marked it at the end. So was that a plucky point or was that a tide-turning performance from Swindon then? It definitely wasn't a plucky point. Um, It was a good point. 
away to top of the league with a fantastic home record and they've only let in five home goals all season. I think the most pleasing bit for me is obviously you go back to how we were all feeling after the Sutton United defeat. I I did uh, the words, you know, it feel it felt a bit playoff chase ending that with you know a difficult away game at Salford to follow, Orient on the horizon. Let's look at it, right? In the last three games, we've done about as much good as we could do in the last three games. Win, win and a draw. Um, including, you know, getting a home win finally. It's just been a bit of a monkey on our backs. Um, for a little, what was the last one before that? October time, wasn't it? So, you know, it's a builder. It's a builder. Seven points in the last nine. What you have got, and I, you know me, Rich, I'm always playing around, I'm dreaming in my head. I still want that Austin winner at Wembley in the playoff final. I think from the last 13 games, we need at least eight wins to have a sniff. And that playoff pack is starting to look like, you know, 72 points might not get you in. So actually, realistically, we might need nine wins. And if if people want hope, I'll give you this. You look at the teams we've got... uh, left to play at home and whilst you know it's probably the trickiest set of fixtures you could have in terms of home games Carlisle in second Stockport in the playoffs Mansfield in the playoffs Barrow on the playoff fringes like ourselves Stevenage you know second or third place elect oh we got Bradford in there as well I think home games looking as difficult as they could be when you look at the league table however if we are going to get in the playoffs and if we are going to have a charge, then, um, you know, the home form is going to have to be the bread and butter of that sandwich. We have to find a way to get some momentum at home and make the county ground a bit of a, a fortress, which um, you think back to some of the key games uh, in that run back at the last year when we beat Forest Green at home on the Tuesday night. Um what was on reflection, a, a pretty good win against Barrow too. Um, so, yeah, and, and the other good thing with that is if you are beating those sides, you're taking points off playoff rivals too. So, you know, if we are going to stage our own Bristol Rovers-esque late charge, then the home form has to be on point. As you look at who we've got to play away from home yet, you've got stuttering Warsaw, and they have just been drawing like you wouldn't believe uh, they do more drawing than my five-year-old. Uh, Rochdale, I know they beat Stephen in yesterday, but they're having a mare of a season. Hartlepool, having a mare of a season. Tranmere, mid-table fodder. Wimbledon, where we're going to have a massive following, I'm sure, for our first trip to Plough Lane with fans allowed. And then what will be after that crew? crew. So yeah, I never tootling alongside. And our away form is pretty sound. You know, three points up at Salford, one at Orient recently. You know if we're in the mix, you're going to get big numbers on the road. I'm not worried about the away form at all. I can see us picking up a lot of wins on the road. The difference between season fizzling out and us having something of a tilt is the home form against the teams we've got left to play. I'm not ruling it out. I think early days, Morris, you know, those first three games, the three defeats, yeah, any manager in their first three games, you're going to find mitigation, aren't you? Um, you know, Dalf Redcard from Hepburn Murphy, 
horror show against Doncaster. Let's just write that off. And then, yeah, a bit of a galling end to certain United where we'd largely been pretty doughty and solid for, for 85 minutes. But I think mean, in the last three games, as the injuries and suspensions have racked up, you know, Saudi Khan's let him down a bit and the injury gods really ain't smiling. Um, and he still hasn't got an assistant manager. I think some of the signs of how we're starting to see a Morris team play, there's much more of a willingness to mix styles. Um, you, know, you still want to be a footballing team first. But, um, yeah, to to go and get three points at Salford, dispatch a poor Harrogate side, which is something you know we haven't been famously good at. Um, and a point yesterday against... Champions elect. I think there are at least the baby steps have been put in. It wouldn't surprise me if we do go on something of a run now. Oh, you'll be at the cricket and you'll be missing all of it. <laughs> Don't be like that, Rich. Come on. They've got to move Crawley to a Monday, which is a god save for a league cricketer. <laughs> but what, what do you think? Where's your head at? I think we've got a lot going against us, which is out of our control, and that might prove a little bit, bit too much. But it's it's not over yet. Certainly not. I don't I don't think it's going to be quite Bristol Rovers. Those three losses in a row have really hurt us. But we still got a couple of games in hand. You never know what might happen. But that Northampton, Stevenage, then Bradford, Salford, Stockport, Mansfield. That's my concern. Is that we won't be able to kick them out of the out of the places. But if our waveform's as good as you hope it will be, then then who knows? But is it feeling a little bit like the Brown Wellens transition now, where we're so close? But uh, maybe it was Brown from Flitcroft actually, uh, where you're kind of like, well, we're so close, we're so close, but everyone above us was winning, we're winning too. So I'm, I'm I'm relaxed. I'm not down on it. I'm just I'm relaxed, and I look forward to Carlisle next week, which will be well, if we win that, it will it will be game on for a lot of fans. But we'll see. Yeah, like you say. We're gonna we're gonna be playing some of the the better sides in League Two to come. It's it's kind of shit or bust, really, in a good way. You know, for us to have a tilt, we're gonna have to keep winning. So keep winning, please, Town. Let's get some players off the injury table this week. We're gonna sign a new centre half just to give a bit of depth there. But I, I still think the front end of the pitch, we haven't really seen it functioning in fifth gear yet. I would love to see a day where Austin gets the service that he got against the Grimsby or Gillingham again. Wakeling coming back into form. Hepburn Murphy, a couple of goals last week. Good performance yesterday. The craft of Williams, McEachran. And actually, your bench strength, you know, Darcy, Shade, Jeffcott, Adeloid, none of those lads getting in the side. Um can't come back. Aguirre can't get a kick. Yeah, I think front end of the pitch, you know, if that clicks, I think there's a much more exciting town side in there. And hopefully as we see Morris continue to work with this squad, we will keep seeing those incremental improvements. Well, we shall see. As always, we're rattling towards uh, an hour. So there's still two things. We've got man of the match to close on. Uh, but we do need to talk about the negative chance. Uh, it seems Swindon Town's slowness to get things done 
also known as their ability to recognize the importance of completing all the necessary due diligence and ensuring this particular agreement, etc., 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 all those protocols, has tipped a fair percentage of town fans over the edge. And we heard quite a few well-supported renditions of we want Sandro out and get out of our club chance. Town CEO Rob Angus was in the away end with the fans. He wasn't with the directors up in the heavens. He would have heard every single one of those chants. Support for these chants was not universal. Tom Jenkins, who I stood next to as an absolute gent, uh, said great day out and thankfully not spoiled by the football crowd race apart from the Sandro hate. Give him a full season. And Jeremy Randall says the Sandro out chance at the start of the second half were pointless and they did have a couple of attempts at 1-1-2 I think um, to keep the Sandro out rhetoric moving. I guess what my question is to you Dan is was that the place to do it? I mean there are people you read around social media they're really pushing the people that provide podcasts like us to really force this agenda i can't force something if i don't know what's happening there are things that he they do behind the scenes that that really irritate me but a lot of this is being really pushed through agendas and what we hear through the grapevine there's a lot of grapevine angst towards sandro d michaeli on social media I've not been hugely impressed with the way the season has gone. I don't like the fact that we seem to be waiting for everything to go through. But was 1-0 down at top of the league, Orient, the best place for this? Probably not. I did remark to my pals, um, some of them not, you know, especially ingratiated with, with Sudden Town. But, you know, I sort of said, welcome to the fan base who uh, sing for the director of football to be sacked. <laughs> you don't hear that often. Because you do don't you? hear that often. You know, <laughs> probably you're you're looking at the upper echelons of the game where people are wanting Woodward out at Man United or Levy out at Tottenham. And here we are, big time fan base, singing for the technical director to go. I mean, was it particularly useful to the team trying to get back into the game? No. But did it keep the noise up from the away end? Yes. Did a lot of people join in with it? Yes. Um, it was a, a hearty chant. I mean, at the very least, to the powers that be, the people that employ Sandro Di Michele, um, you've got your the, the customers of your business um, dissenting against one of the sort of key backroom staff. So, um, you know, if people are in listening mode, then... The message from that group of supporters was uh, was quite clear. It, it just didn't seem right at that moment in time. And I, I think, in, and I alluded to it earlier, it was like the game was drifting away from us when those chants were starting. It felt like 2-0 wasn't far away and it didn't go that way in the end. It kind of like when, they, when the town ends saying, you don't know what you're doing um, to Scott Lindsay when he brought on Jake Wakeling against Sutton. Um, <laughs> but... But it was it, it it was interesting. I'm not saying it was the wrong thing to do. I just I just wonder if it was the right place and right time. Um, everyone's entitled to an opinion. That there've clearly been things that have been happening at Swindon that aren't 
the norm in terms of how things seem to operate both at Swindon historically and everywhere else but it seems that Dean McKayley is getting the brunt of that well A I don't think I've got time to cover the whole Sandro Dean McKayley bit let's do another pod um, B since he has been in situ we have like you've said this amazing ability to string things out delay comms leak information out to other outlets. The recruitment's been mixed, if I'm being kind. January was baffling. The situation at centre-half is of our own making, however unlucky you want to say about injuries. Um, And I think the thing I'll close on, uh, and this isn't an original Dan Hunt thought, but a few people have pointed out, once you took Austin and Williams off the pitch, that was a very, very inexperienced Swindon Town 11 players on the part to the point where, you know, we saw the game out fine, drew 1-1, the 11 players on the pitch acquitted themselves well, but we're needlessly inexperienced. And I say needlessly because, you know, it's because of the decisions taken. Uh, and when you've got, you know, basically head of recruitment, um, and I fully acknowledge there is someone above him who employs him and could pull the trigger. So, you know, it's not completely on Sandro Di Michele. There's still someone obviously giving him a brief. Is he just, you know, acting to that brief? Or have we sort of let Dominic Cummins run loose in sort of number 10 of Swindon Town? Um, data, darling. Um I, it has been noticeable how Swindon have rather put Sandra away in the last uh, three weeks, four weeks. Cheerful promises to come back on the, the Monday night panel, for example, post-transfer window, never uh, amounted to anything. He's not done much media stuff. And, and you have to wonder, like, the Tom Brewitt deal, like, who's doing the scouting on that? He's been over in the lower leagues of... American football uh, with Tacoma Defiance and Hartford Athletic. Let's go Defiance. Let's go indeed. You know, and there are get, there's more and more signings where people go, well, that's a Jody Morris signing. Yep. We know that was a Clem signing. Yeah. We know that. And, and that is going against this whole project because, you know, people are getting sniffy at the sort of the data side of things. But if it's done well, you're Brentford and Brighton. If it's done badly... Well, it could be known as a Swindon. <laughs> so yeah. we shouldn't be afraid of data and spreadsheets. No, every club in the land uses data. Ben Chorley used data. Like what we what we did different was come in and make a whole lot of lavish promises about how we were going to use data, which exactly. we haven't backed up. We haven't backed it up. Um, final thing I'll say playfully, Rich, because you know me, I'm a playful guy. I'm a bit hungover. Perhaps Sandro Michele has had his marching orders, but yeah. we are somehow stringing out the announcement that he's gone. Uh, it probably happened 10 days ago. We'll hear about it first, either through Chris Hull at Sky Sports um, or Whelan at the Football League World or whatever he's from, because um, we're a good leaking. We're a good leaky club, and, and it will still take another week for us to uh, actually confirm it. There you go. You've got to wonder what BBC Radio Wiltshire and the advertiser have got to do to get a scoop from that club. Anyway, we'll, we'll leave it at that and we'll end with Man of the Match. 
Um, there were it was quite a tough one this week. Quite a few people got nods: George McEachran, Tom Clayton, Rashan Hepburn, Murphy, Harrison Minton, and Jake Wakelin all got nods. But the the listeners vote went to someone who haven't, we haven't talked about that much. Uh, but he was acknowledged. It was Joe Tomlinson. I've never known a player to be so adored by so many Swindon fans so early and still not played for us permanently. Absolutely love him. Hey, take the boy out of cheers, but you can't take the chizzy out of the boy. You've got to say that properly, haven't you? <laughs> but no, uh, probably the reason we haven't gone overboard on Tomlinson is like in the best way possible for a defender. You didn't notice him for 90 minutes because he slotted in seamlessly. For a small man, he played left centre-half really well. Wasn't exposed in the air, from what I saw. Um, two-footed, which helps. Yeah, just maybe you know another little string to Tomlinson's bow there. I, I probably wouldn't have him man of the match myself. I, I'm a bit more of a romantic. We've done this spreadsheet for a couple of seasons now, and we renamed it the Lou Reed, which is still called the Lou Reed spreadsheet because week after week we were being told Lou Reed was the best player, but we're giving it to someone else because, you know, <laughs> of X, Y, Z. And I'm going to be influenced by that rhetoric. And I would urge the the pod, therefore you, Dan, to go with Harrison Minton. Full league debut in a patched up defence versus champions elect away from home. He did his job couple errors nothing too bad he was confidence personified i would say harrison minton why not well yeah me and you were going to the same place rich um dan the romantic and rich the spreadsheet lover two swindonians two borough boys (laughs) Mm -hmm. um get the man of the match and that may never happen again yeah no um well done harrison welcome back joe it's good to see you fit again and yeah, let's hope this is the start of something for both of them, really. You know, Tomlinson's time last year cut short by injury, didn't return in the summer, which I thought might happen. I was, you know, I was kind of resigned to him not coming back again, really. Yeah. So no, I, I would really like to see Tomlinson stay fit and join us in the summer. That's got to be the most common sense transfer in history. Uh, and with Minton, I hope this is the start of you know, a proper Swindon career and not just... Flash in the pan, you know, Sol Price, David Stroud, Carl Lapham, kind of types. I, I think he's better than that. I think I think we've got a good football league defender here and a magnificent beard. <laughs> and you can end it on that if you want. Dan, thank you very much. Thanks, Rich. Cheers all. The Low Strangers is an independent supporters podcast. Views given do not reflect those of Swindon Town Football Club or their official partners. The music is provided by the great Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork was designed by Matt in Singapore. What a guy. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. Has that bubble?